Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. This WBEZ podcast is supported by the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Suicide is a topic that hides in the shadows. It's time we talk away the dark, learn how to spot the warning signs for suicide, and how you can have an open, caring, real conversation to help save lives. Visit the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention to watch the new short film and learn more at AFSP.org slash talkawaythedark. I'm Susie Ann, in for Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset. Starting today, indoor masking is back in Chicago. Add that to the White House's announcement about booster shots being available next month to unvaccinated kids returning to the classroom. You may have a question or two about what's going on right now and how to stay safe as the Delta variant continues to surge. Well, we're delighted to welcome Dr. Mia Teramina back to the program. She's an infectious disease specialist with the DuPage Medical Group who's been here on Reset throughout the pandemic. Dr. T, welcome back. Hey, Susie. Good to talk to you. Well, let's start with the big COVID news of the week. The White House announced the Pfizer and Moderna boosters will be available starting September 20th and is recommending vaccinated folks to get them. What's your reaction to that? So it's not unexpected at this time as we have this rise in cases because of the Delta variant and so much widespread, you know, community transmission going on. We know that the best tool in this game is going to be vaccinating folks that have not been vaccinated yet. But to the extent that that becomes a bit of a futile attempt, we're trying to really reach out to these folks that haven't been vaccinated. We also need to focus on those who are most likely and most susceptible to breakthrough infections. Mm -hmm. And that's going to be the people that were vaccinated the soonest in this game, as well as people with severe immunocompromising conditions. So pending FDA approval, it's anticipated those of us who were vaccinated very early on Healthcare workers, the elderly, nursing home patients will be next in line. Well, break it down for us. What are boosters? Uh, what do they do? How do they work? So essentially what's happening here is we're going to be getting a third dose of the same vaccine we've already received. Right now, at this moment in time, there's not emergency use authorization for mixing and matching. Uh, That may come in the future. But if you receive two doses of Pfizer, you may soon be eligible for a third dose of Pfizer. If you've received two doses of Moderna, you may soon be eligible for a third dose of Moderna. I like to think of this as sort of filling up the cup of antibodies. Our antibodies have depleted over time, not to a point of zero, but they've depleted to a point where our vaccine may not be as reliable against the Delta variant. So around eight months out, giving a booster dose, a third dose of the same, will magnify those antibodies and have more of an antibody presence in our circulation in case we do get exposed to the Delta variant to afford us more protection. Do you have any predictions here? Is it possible or likely that we'll be getting boosters annually? You know, I think we were all hoping that we wouldn't need a booster quite this soon. But Mm -hmm. the way, again, statistics are falling and the way these cases are coming, and we are seeing some breakthrough cases, it is reasonable for us to get that third dose now uh, at that eight-month or so interval for most people who are not severely immunocompromised. Beyond this and beyond what should be the tail end of this pandemic, 
I do think that there's going to be room for giving booster doses to those who are the most susceptible for severe infection, potentially annually. But I don't necessarily think that we're necessarily going to need boosters for everyone every year. It remains to be seen. We've already got a number of calls. We've got Pat in Highland Park. Pat, you are on reset. Good morning. So I received the Johnson Johnson vaccine. Is there any additional protection that I can take? Do I have the option of taking the Pfizer or Moderna vaccine? No, doctor. Hey, Pat, that's a great question. The answer's not quite yet. Uh, First doses of Johnson & Johnson came out in March. So we are looking towards a probability that there's going to be a recommendation for another dose of Johnson & Johnson at around that eight-month mark. So for the soonest, it would be mid-November or so. That being said, there are individuals who may have received Johnson & Johnson that have uh, more significant health issues. And the question becomes, is there utility for mixing and matching and giving a booster dose, a single dose of Pfizer or Moderna. At present, we don't have ability to do that under emergency use authorization. However, when these vaccines get full FDA approval, which could happen in the next several weeks, there is room for physicians to use the vaccines off-label as they see fit in certain circumstances. So my answer to folks who have received Johnson & Johnson is sit tight. More information is coming, and we should have more information in the next few weeks. That's a great question. Uh, We've got another call, Douglas in Oak Park. He's got a question about boosters as well. Douglas, you're on Reset. Yes, thank you. I had two Pfizer shots in February, but I want to visit my daughter when she has a newborn baby in September. I understand after two Pfizer shots, I can transmit virus just as much as an unvaccinated person can transmit. If I get a booster before I go in September, will that cut down my ability to transmit the virus? Excellent question. Uh, We don't have a concrete answer for that. We do know that the booster giving you uh, additional antibodies is going to make it far less likely that you get COVID if you're exposed. And if you do get exposed, far less likely for you to have a severe infection, hospitalization, or death. That being said, we don't yet know what the viral load will be like in individuals that have had a third dose and do test positive mm-hmm. for COVID. That's going to be information that we get in the weeks and months to come as we boost individuals. So at present, being around a newborn, cheers to uh, being fully vaccinated and getting your booster when it's your turn. Otherwise, masking is certainly reasonable around the most vulnerable little babies. And doctor, it sounds like um Eight months out from from the uh, last shot that someone got is about the time that, you know, you might get a booster. But uh, is there a, a time period that's too long to wait to get your booster? There will not be a time period that's too long to wait. And that goes for anyone who's hanging out there that had only a single dose of vaccine for whatever reason, one dose of Pfizer or one dose of Moderna. Maybe then they had a health issue or they had some side effects and they were leery about getting a second dose. If you're reconsidering that second dose, there is no too long of a wait. Get the second dose whenever you can get the second dose. And if you are on the fence about getting a booster for whatever reason, uh, there's no too long to wait to get a booster. Certainly, the longer you wait, the more susceptible you potentially could be in order to be exposed to COVID and get disease. But there's no too long to wait in order to receive the booster when you're ready. We've got another call, Alonzo in Edgewater. Alonzo, you are on reset. What's your question for the doctor? 
Hello. Um, I have a kind of uh, an international question. My mom lives abroad in Mexico, and she received the Russian vaccine, the Sputnik V. So I'm wondering if if she or I should try to get her a, a boost for a Moderna or a Pfizer, um, maybe here or even in Mexico. Oh, interesting. Dr. Taramina. That's a great question as well. We do get questions like this where individuals have received a full vaccine series of a vaccine that's not yet approved in the U.S. Uh, To the extent that your mother is in the U.S. and able to potentially get labs drawn, there are options to look and see if she's generated antibodies. And when it comes to booster dosing, again, at present, the only emergency use authorization is to give a third dose to Pfizer or Moderna recipients who had primary series. Once we are fully FDA approved for these vaccines, there is room for some off-label use. And on a case-by-case basis, her physicians may consider that for her. Thanks for that. Thank you. Uh, Doctor, in other COVID news, we seem to be seeing more serious cases of infections among children and young people. What can you tell us about what we're learning about how variants are affecting kids? You know, at this time across the country, more than 95% of all of COVID, no matter where you're at, is the Delta variant. And we know that this is more transmissible and we know it's highly contagious. And we know that the most vulnerable individuals are going to be across the board, those who have not received vaccine. So that is our children that are ineligible for vaccine and young adults mostly who have not been fully vaccinated or have not been vaccinated at this time. We're absolutely seeing breakthrough cases. When we do see breakthrough cases, these patients, for the most part, are doing quite well. They might need a little help in the hospital for a couple of days, but I'm not worried that they're going to become critically ill. Those cases of critical illness after full vaccine are few and far between. We're essentially playing a numbers game with our kids. We have, you know, over 100,000 cases of coronavirus in children last week, and you know, almost 2,000 hospitalizations. At some point, we are going to have children that are passing away from this, and they they don't need to have that happen. If we continue as eligible adults to get our vaccines when it's our turn to go ahead and make this the time that we get our vaccines now to protect our youngest ones, and for all the kids going back to school, we really do need to focus on those layered mitigation strategies. In the state of Illinois, every single county is at high trans mission right now. By my view, believe me, I'd love to have my daughter unmasked and have a normal school Mm -hmm. day as best as possible. We're just not there yet. We need those layered mitigations to protect our kids and keep them in school safely. Any idea how far off we are from um, getting vaccines for the younger kids? I still remain optimistic by the end of the year. We are expecting data from Pfizer first, and that will be in 5 to 11-year-olds, hopefully by the end of September. Getting that data doesn't necessarily mean we're going to have shots in arms, but we'll be able to see the next step, whether it's applying for emergency use authorization or angling for a full FDA approval. It looks like the dose is going to be roughly one-third of the dose that's given to an adult patient to achieve that same antibody level. But again, we're all waiting uh, with bated breath. Those of us who are parents and those of us who are providers for children, we really want to know when we're going to be able to protect our kids. And uh, we've got a a question um, from Mary who asks, what medical conditions would allow you to get an early booster? So right now, we have FDA approval or we have emergency use authorization approval from the FDA 
for a third dose of Pfizer or Moderna if you are severely immune suppressed. This is going to be transplant patients. This is going to be cancer patients actively undergoing chemotherapy. This is going to be people that have uh, immunosuppressive medications that they're required to take, high-dose steroids, those living with HIV that's poorly controlled. And again, if you feel yourself to be in a category of higher risk, but not necessarily in one of these categories, I think there's going to be room to get your boosters soon enough. Uh, hopefully, we'll get some more information in the coming weeks. But right now, at this moment, at least for the next several weeks, it's the most severely immunocompromised. And I want to turn back to the phones. We've got Audrey in the Gold Coast. Audrey, what's your question for Dr. Taramina? As a healthcare worker, I received the Pfizer series in December and January. And I'm wondering what reason there is not to test spike antibody levels to guide the timing of a booster. So if my antibodies are good, why should I want to get a booster in October if it's not yet necessary? Doctor, uh, I'm not sure if you were able to hear that question. I did, yes. Okay. So so checking our M-spike antibodies for most patients is not something that's routinely done or encouraged to, to be done. It only gives us one little bit of information about our immunity and our protection. These vaccines not only give us spike antibody, they also induce B and T cell responses, which can you know have some protective effect in recognizing this virus as an intruder and protecting our body should we get get exposed or infected. That being said, only one piece of the puzzle is looking at the spike antibodies, and we're not yet sure exactly what levels of antibodies are going to be the most protective. All of us that are going to be eligible for boosters in October and November because we completed our series very early on, everyone's at a different level of antibody at present. We just know that more is better, and that's kind of the angle we're moving at. And I would think about this, you know, for myself and for the healthcare worker who just called, we may be low risk. I, I don't think that I would have severe infection if I was exposed, but it is my duty and my responsibility to continue to make sure that I am as protected as possible so I don't unknowingly pass this virus onto a patient, onto my child, and onto people I care about. And uh, we had a call from Sophie in the South Loop. She wants to know the risks of fully vaccinated people singing in a group. That's a good question. You know, we we know that we reached a point in May and June where we were fully vaccinated and taking masks off and interacting as previous. But we now know that we have the possibility of getting infected even if we're fully vaccinated. And if we are infected with the Delta variant, there's just so much virus, we could potentially spread just as though we were not a, a vaccinated individual. So there is some risk uh, to singing, especially if it's indoors and in close proximity. I know there are singing masks and other ways to kind of try and mitigate that if you're indoors, a little more separation, um, potentially open windows if you're in an indoor facility, whatever layered strategies we can do to make singing uh, the safest possible uh, scenario. We've got Steve and Will met with a question. Steve, what's your question for the doctor? Oh, hi, thank you. Um, this is kind of related to the previous call. Uh, I belong to a 12-step group of Adults, all of whom were on the honor system, claim to be fully vaccinated. No reason to doubt them. Um, we're in, we spread out about four or five feet apart, sitting down, and we all talk at various points. Is it A, 
safe to meet, B, should we all be masked, and C, when we talk, we, you can't really hear somebody well when they're masked. And again, thank you. Doctor. So there's several ways to do this. I certainly recommend honor system-wise, everybody who is not vaccinated really needs to be masked regardless of their ability to uh, project their voice. You know, we want to keep individuals as safe as possible. Those seating arrangements, keeping everyone four to six feet apart, seems very reasonable as well. Alternatively, if you have a fully vaccinated individual who's asymptomatic and is not having any symptoms of, of COVID or any high risk exposures that they're aware of, if there's a possibility of them sort of going up to a podium and being more than six feet away from everyone else, a fully vaccinated individual can likely pull their mask down in order to uh, speak when it's their turn. Otherwise, at this point, we've reached a point with high transmission everywhere in Illinois. And really, regardless of vaccine status, everyone should be masked indoors at this time. And I want to turn back to the phones. We've got Jerry and Wheaton. Jerry, what's your question for the doctor? Yes, uh, thank you. Should we be cautious or hesitant about attending an indoor theater performance where vaccination, COVID test clearance, and masks are being required, but beverages are being sold to attendees? Hmm. Interesting. Doctor? So we have a fantastic example from a very, very large gathering like Lollapalooza that when you have mitigation strategies in place that include proof of vaccination or proof of recent COVID testing. Again, nothing is 100%, but if you combine that with masking while you're not eating and drinking, that is the type of indoor event that likely will be among the safest. Nothing is 100% guarantee. So if you have underlying health issues and it would be high risk in spite of being fully vaccinated, it may be something that you need to reconsider. But to the extent that you're reasonably healthy, asymptomatic, fully vaccinated, no reason why you can't be masked at an event and enjoy a beverage uh, with uh, slipping down your mask when you'd like to eat or drink. Doctor, the state is under a mask mandate for schools, universal masking in schools, but we've already seen with uh, some some schools across the state that have already reopened, uh, some districts are on probation for going against that mandate. How much of a concern is it to you that, um, you know, we're seeing this, especially in elementary schools across our state? We will absolutely see increased cases and uh, probably even more disturbing and disruptive uh, increased quarantines if we get lax about using masking as our number one layer of mitigation. There's so many things that can be done in a school setting to make our schools safe, including distancing where unable, opening windows, hand hygiene, uh, making sure our HVAC systems are up to par. But masking remains a very, very crucial tool, especially uh, until we can get these youngest kids vaccinated and until we get and we come down from the current surge that we're in i do think there's room for mask optional moving forward once we get to a point where we have less community transmission we have the ability to fully vaccinate our youngest kids and then our oldest kids that are fully vaccinated may be sort of at the top of the list to move toward a mask optional situation they're going to be less likely to get and spread this virus mm-hmm. me personally i think that masks need to be on these children whether we like it or not, I understand that there are you know, thoughts on both sides of this coin to keep our kids in school with minimal disruption for at least the next several weeks to months as we move through this particular surge mm-hmm. and finding information out about vaccinating our littlest ones. 
We have a couple more calls. Riva in Hyde Park. Riva, you're on reset. What's your question for the doctor? Rivka, yeah, hi. Um, my question is about kids that are not vaccinated, obviously under 12, um, playing outdoors. And, of course, kids tend to get closer than they should outdoors when they're playing, screaming in each other's faces, tumbling on top of each other. So how essential is it to wear masks outdoors? How high is the risk of transmission? Doctor. The risk of transmission outdoors is, is much, much less than it is in any indoor setting. As we uh, have these schools that are reopened in recess times, yes, the kids are going to be very close together, playing tag, running around. It still seems very reasonable that they don't have to be masked because there's sort of constant movement that's happening. And, you know, this this virus, which is carried in aerosols and droplets, is going to dissipate through a large volume of space when outdoors. If you have a child that's medically vulnerable or if you have, um, you know, individuals that are uh, potentially more at risk, masking should be considered even when outdoors. And if there's any scenario where kids are going to be outdoors and in, in sort of stagnant for an assembly or a Uh, event or something where everyone has to be sitting sort of shoulder to shoulder, masking should still occur because these kids are not fully vaccinated. But for the most part, outdoor play, running around as kids should be okay without a mask right now. And we've got Kareem and Evanston with a call. What's your question for the doctor? I'm just wondering, I have a seven-year-old, she's going back to school. How safe is it actually? I mean, they're going to be inside uh, wearing masks, of course, but I don't think they're going to really be able to keep that six-foot distance. How safe is it? Doctor. So, Kareem, we, we all want to do right by our kids. And, I, you know, my daughter is seven years old as well. Again, it's all about those layered mitigations. So the fact that they are all going to be masked automatically is going to dramatically decrease the potential for exposure within a school setting. Uh, schools and, and seating arrangements really need to be uh, three three feet apart at a minimum and six feet apart, ideally um, at all circumstances, but especially when eating and drinking. Mask breaks and outdoor recess are certainly reasonable as well. Hand washing and contact tracing when there is someone who uh, does become positive if there was a high-risk encounter is going to be imperative as well. For the most part, we saw this go fairly well in the, in, in the spring last year. And I think we can extrapolate that and have a fairly successful school year with these kids with mitigation strategies in place. That's infectious disease expert Dr. Mia Taramino with the DuPage Medical Group. Dr. T, always a pleasure and thanks for your insight as always. And that's today's Reset. We're back on Monday with more of our series, Reimagine Chicago. If you've got a minute, leave us a review on this podcast. It really helps other listeners like you find us. But that's it for today. I'm Susie On. Have a great weekend, and we'll see you back here Monday. Thanks for listening to the news live on WBEZ and NPR. The WBEZ stream sounds great in the kitchen on your smart speaker and anywhere on the WBEZ app. Listen every day.